Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot code SUPER24. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, this is John Dorsey. How you doing, buddy boy? Don't be scared. What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Monday edition of the show. The Draft Dudes, as a reminder, is brought to you by Locked On Podcast Network. Kyle, welcome to the show here on this first NFL Monday morning edition of the show. No, no, this is first victory Monday of the year show. How many more you got, Kyle? How oh, many? geez, at this pace, probably 11. Ooh, wow, <laughs> that big win against the, the Titans without their quarterback. And goes both down. starting tackles. Yeah. Hey, I'm happy for and you. And they lost yeah. their tight end in the in the midst of the game as well. Yeah. I won't have many of these, sir. Uh, yeah, it's almost like we knew what we were talking about when we said the Bills were like seriously undermanned this year, right? Yeah, well, I mean, and the fifty million in dead cap space doesn't help. I mean, it's just it's it, yeah, the roster is just not there. So oh, we'll see what happens, man. Trust the process, Joe. Uh, I'm trusting and respecting the process. We'll there see. There you go. Yeah, well, how, whatever word you got to put in front of the process, go ahead and just yeah, do man. that. Yeah, let's do that, uh, Kyle. We don't I, just for the people. I know you know this, but we're just going to talk ball today. We have an entire weekend worth of college football, NFL football to uh, get into. And obviously our focus with this being an NFL draft podcast is the, the, you know, the NFL prospects and some of the younger guys in the league. So that's where this discussion will be centered around. But uh, you know, we don't have an agenda today. We're just going to kind of give some of our, our impressions from some of the stuff we saw and we watched a ton of football. So we have a lot of takes. So yes. why don't you get us started? Here, yeah. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers are not ready for prime time. That was one <laughs> of my takeaways from the weekend. Uh, Jimmy Glock Garop, I think he was 15 of 33, had three interceptions in this game. Um, tough showing for San Francisco. And, and this was one of those, those really buzzy teams. And I almost put this in today's column for studs and duds, Joe. But, uh, as we are recording this at eight ten, and the bears are getting ready to kick off here within the next 20 minutes on Sunday night, I don't know what the bears are going to do. And the bears were the other team that was that really buzzy popular choice to, to really make some waves. And I don't know if they've won or lost. So I chose to admit that, but the takeaway from San Francisco kind of you know, really getting off to a rough start after all the love that they got all summer long. Um, that was a takeaway for me. I was surprised it, it got that ugly for Garoppolo specifically, but uh, he was not the only quarterback Joe and I'll leave it there in case you have any other takes that uh, had a really rough go yesterday. 
<laughs> Are you trying to get me to talk bad on Peterman, Kyle? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm talking about somebody else, though. Another quarterback that was trash. I did want to echo one thing there. Uh, tough, I mean, tough order there. Week one at Minnesota against the Mike Zimmer defense that's, you know, pretty much returning everyone with an improved secondary. I yeah. mean, that's, that's a, a, geez, that's tough. Uh, Mike Hughes had a pick six, didn't he? He did. Yeah, that was a bad throw by Jimmy. Uh, I think he was counting on that receiver to break in, and he didn't, and just went right to Hughes for the, the pick six there. What, I, I cannot think of what quarterback you're talking Come about. On, we were just talking about him before we hopped on the air. Uh, okay. In the Slack channel. In the company Mariota? Slack. No. Tyrod? Oh, this is your worst brain fart of all time. This is, this is bad. Um, Who played the local game? Oh, Dak. Yes. We're talking Dak. We're talking little uh, Dak. You know, look, this is this is a funny game because I have been kind of poking some Cowboys people on Twitter and just be like, hey, what do you think about this game Sunday against Carolina? Because I felt like there was this confidence from Dallas and its fans that they were going to come into Carolina and win this football game. And I just thought to myself, like, you know, I just – Carolina at home, really outstanding front seven. They're an undermanned offensive line right now with Dallas. Dak and his receivers aren't necessarily going to be the group that's going to take away, take advantage of some of those questions I had with Carolina's secondary, and it proved to be true. Uh, Dak, look, you know, this is an interesting roster construction because you feel like they're really counting on Zeke to really carry this team, but, you know, with three guys down on that offensive line and uh, – uh, you know, uh, outstanding Carolina front seven. I mean, you saw the fits that Kwan Short gave uh, to Connor Williams there in his first start at left guard. And Kwan Short's going to give fits to anybody, let alone Connor Williams in his first start. But you know, Dak just look—he's regressing, right? I mean, that's a big thing. Obviously, not having the rushing attack is big because so much of what he was able to do in his rookie season when he caught fire was work the play action game and take advantage of some favorable looks in the secondary. And right now those aren't there because uh, they're not respecting that run game as much. So you look, if this team is going to go as far as Dak's going to take them. And I don't know if that's a very exciting proposition if I'm a Cowboys fan. No, um, I agree with pretty much everything you said there, Joe. Uh, one thing I did like from this Carolina Dallas game, I know we do want to talk some college ball here the, today as well, but I like some of the usage that we saw for Christian McCaffrey in this football game. Yeah. And we saw yeah. like a little triple option look from Carolina and, and the pitch to McCaffrey up the sideline. And uh, that, that for me was really exciting because I think the more ways you can, you know, accept some unconventional implementations for him, the more you're going to get out of him. For sure. For sure. You hate to say that about a top 10 guy, you know, you just want to be able to get him the ball in any way, but that's just not going to be the case. And uh, really like the dynamics between him and Cam in terms of uh, read option type stuff, which yeah. you can do. Uh, both are so dynamic. So a lot of options there for Carolina's offense. What do you got? I, I, yeah, I, I want to talk uh, Mississippi State, man. Uh, really enjoyed watching that game against Kansas State to start my Saturday. And the going into the game, I wanted to see two guys, right? Montez Sweat, the defensive end for Mississippi State. Jeffrey Simmons, defensive tackle. And my goodness, they did not disappoint in any way, shape, or form. Simmons is a guy that, like, I don't know if everybody knows him yet. I know we've mentioned him a few times on this podcast, but he's one of the premier defensive line prospects in this coming class. I mean, just really fits the description of what you're looking for in terms of being a penetrating three tech. But I went back on Sunday morning before the NFL kicks and I went back and watched this game again, because I want to get, you know, just a really good eye on what those guys did in this game. And 
he really took on double teams so well. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say he was doubled all game, but there was maybe, I don't know, at least a half dozen reps where they put two guys on him and they really were counting on either for those two guys to move him out of the gap or uh, scoop block where one of the, you know, one reaches around and the other one climbs the second level. And Simmons wasn't having it, man. He was, he was holding his ground, man. Super stout anchor. So love what I see from him, obviously, in terms of getting up the field and making plays, but he's got a stout anchor. And I think that he's ready to contribute both attacking gaps and if he needs to play on the line of scrimmage and control. Uh, obviously, Montez Sweat had another really outstanding game here. Um, he went up against Dalton Risner, who's their right tackle for Kansas State, who I think is going to be an outstanding NFL starting offensive lineman. I just don't think it's going to be a right tackle. I think he's going to be an interior guy. That's where he'll find his success. So Sweat's a tall order for him on, on the edge there. And I thought for the most part he did pretty well. But there were some reps where you just saw Sweat really take advantage of his length, his flexibility, his power, his hand technique to, to really create some rush angles and, and apply some heat. Uh, he had a b- beautiful club rip, uh, actually a club, a stab club rip pressure. I put that on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw that on Sunday morning, but then there's some awesome really good reps against the run game where he was squeezing down. And I thought that was kind of the concern with sweat coming into the season is, you know, does he have enough uh, of play strength to really hold the edge? And I thought, against Risner, he fared really, really well in terms of his run defense. So those were the premier guys going into that game. And, you know, they, they both played like first round picks on Saturday. Joe, I have a name for you from Saturday. All right. You know this name already because I, I oozed <laughs> about this guy in the slack. But Temple has a cornerback whose name, I kid you not, folks, is Rock Yasin. R-O-C-K space Y-A-S-I-N. First rounder. Badass name. Right out the gate. This guy played really well. Uh, Buffalo versus Temple was the local game on the slate for me. It was a 3.30 watch for me. Uh, Fortunately, the rain kind of went away so we could see some of the spectacular throws that Tyree Jackson is capable of making in this football game. And I came into this game specifically looking about five guys. Buffalo had Tyree Jackson, wide receiver Anthony Johnson. Buffalo had linebacker Khalil Hodge. And then Temple had uh, Delvin Randall was kind of the predominant guy for, for Temple's roster. And Randall looked like trash, first of all. <laughs> Super disappointed. You know, this was somebody that was getting mocked as a first-round player. And Buffalo had a true freshman r- running back at 205 that made him look like a little boy on multiple occasions trying to tackle him one-on-one. So that's not good. But Rock Yassin, 6'1", 190 cornerback, played last year at Presbyterian College. And then Presbyterian College said, hey, you know what, we're not going to do football anymore. What's so, the, what was Presbyterian's uh, uh, mascot, do you know? Um, the <laughs> blue yes. something, right? The blue hose, yeah, that's good. The blue that's hose. Good. Sorry, carry on. So carry on. Yeah, all right. Z, I, Joe trying to trick me on my own podcast. That ain't cool, man. Yeah. Uh, so former Blue Hose corner Rocky Sin transferred to Temple. And uh, this was kind of a resume game for him. If you look at the schedule the rest of the way for Temple, uh, Anthony Johnson was the predominant test on their schedule. Uh, he scored... Anthony Johnson scored on the last possession to win the game 36-29, but Buffalo schemed Johnson into the slot so he didn't have to run his route against Yassin. 
and Yassin was physical. He had four or five passes defensed. He had an interception on a two-point conversion that he ran back for two points that was called back in a block in the back that didn't need to be thrown. He had an interception of Tyree Jackson in the end zone in man-to-man coverage against Anthony Johnson, and he had another interception late in the fourth quarter that was overturned because the nose of the ball might have hit the ground. So realistically, this guy made like eight plays on the football. And this was, you know, a, a team coming in in Buffalo that you expected to just sling the pill all over the place. And I know Anthony Johnson's strengths really aren't beating man-to-man coverage. So I want to see more from Yasin as far as athletically, where does he stand? But in man-to-man coverage against Anthony Johnson, he was glued on the hip and he had a tremendous football game. Yeah, that's uh, good for people that uh, probably didn't watch Buffalo and Temple to get some takes. Thank so everyone. Yeah. Uh, a game I think most people did watch, Clemson, Texas A&M. Oh, no. uh, big, ro- big road win there for Dabo uh, heading into uh, College Station, coming out with the win. Obviously, Jimbo Fisher has this team playing very differently than we saw from Kevin Sumlin. Uh, Kevin Sumlin team, that team probably folds and Clemson routes them. But uh, they kept battling, man. I give them a lot of credit for the way they played that game and uh, really – Looks like Jimbo is going to have a, a good good thing going there pretty soon. Uh, obviously, the, the the marquee matchup here is is this Clemson defensive line against Texas A and M's offense. And you've heard us talk all summer about Cleveland Farrell being the best uh, of those defensive linemen for Clemson, and he was the best defensive lineman again against Texas A and M. He comes out of the game with uh, three tackles for loss, three hurries, and two sacks. And uh, you know he had the one strip sack actually that set up a very important. Uh, took away a very important scoring opportunity for Texas A&M, but it was just a pass rush variety from Farrell that continues to impress me. You know, I don't know that he's going to have like Miles Garrett-like testing, right? Like he's not going to be a Jadavian Clowney elite testing. He's going to be a good tester, but he's not going to be at that level. So where he really wins and sets him apart as, as and makes him such a highly regarded prospect is how much variation there is in how he wins. There's so many different hand techniques and counters and how he can string together moves, win inside, win outside. And, and you saw it all on display against Texas A&M, and it came in critical moments that really led to this Clemson win. And you think about that last drive where Texas A&M had a chance to go uh, and make some noise there. And Cleveland Farrell, man, he was he was just in constant pressure. You knew that Kellen Mond, that quarterback, knew he only had so much time because – Farrell was going to get home. And that's what, you know, that's, you talk about game changers, right? On defense is a guy that can do that. And it, that type of ability to get home with consistency affects the quarterback, even if he doesn't have five sacks a game, right? He still had a ton of sacks, but it's that, that, that threat to always be there and affect that quarterback. And Farrell's going to be a guy that's going to do that at the next level. And he's had a great start to his season. I think even Dexter Lawrence from this Clemson defensive line is playing good ball right now. He's showing, a lot more athleticism than we saw last year, which is good because we found out late over the summer that he, was, he wasn't he was healthy. He's had some type of foot thing all year that really hampered him. And you see the mobility and the burst there from Lawrence. So really encouraging what I'm seeing early on from Farrell, as I expected, but then also for Lawrence to show a much uh, improved athletic skill set being healthy this year. Joe, you mentioned one Kevin Sumlin <laughs> a couple minutes ago. Let's talk about Kevin Sumlin, shall we? Yeah. Kevin Sumlin, the new head coach of the Arizona Wildcats. The 0-2 Arizona Wildcats for the first time since 1981. The 0-2 Arizona Wildcats who were losing to the Houston Cougars by a score of 38-10. to 
to nothing. That Kevin Sumlin. You know what this is, Joe? This is football karma. The football gods are enacting karma on the likes of Khalil Tate. And I'm kind of here for it. Because Khalil Tate, when Arizona was looking for a new head coach, and they were rumored to be interested in Navy's coach Ken, Khalil Tate tweeted, I didn't come to Arizona to run the triple option. Mm. Khalil Tate would proceed to follow up this summer in talking with Bleacher Report, and they asked him about that tweet, and here's what he had to say. I knew exactly what I was doing when I tweeted that out. I don't do Twitter. When I tweet something, I download the app, tweet, and then delete the app from my phone. When I tweet, it's important. I had to make sure I was heard, make sure the team was heard, because my teammates didn't want to run the triple option either. Well, guess what? Congratulations, Khalil Tate. You were 24-45 for 351 passing yards, and you were losing 38 to nothing. So I hope it was worth it. I think it's fascinating that a team would allow the opinion of one player, Khalil Tate, who will be there probably two years tops, maybe, to influence their head coaching decision-making, which is what it seems that Khalil Tate was able to do. And now, Kevin Sullivan is uh, trying to change the entire identity of this team, and the end result is they suck. So there's that. Um. A lot of pocket stuff from Tate, right? Like, don't you just have to let him be what he is? Yeah. What you did with Manziel? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, it almost feels like they are, you know, foregoing the season in an effort to develop Tate as a pocket passer. It's almost what it feels like. It's weird, Kyle. It's weird. I want to get your take on this. Yeah. Who's who is faster? Which one of these players is faster? Oh, no. Georgia wide receiver Mecole Hardman, who <laughs> that dude's blazing fast. If anyone remembers that touchdown against Alabama in the national championship, and then his speed was again on display with over a hundred yards. He hurtled some South dude, Carolina. didn't he? Oh yeah, he's he's a he's <laughs> he's a stupid athlete. Or Hollywood Brown with Oklahoma. Gun dad, who wins and who's going to have a better four yard dash? And I'll give you a look, I'll give some free advice next year when we run the contest, you know, that I've ran for the last several years about yeah, the, like, four, the 40 the dash dad. time. Yeah, give me the four three guys. You're going to want to put both these guys in there, assuming they're both in the draft. Kyle, who's faster? Do you, give, give, can I flip a coin? Give I me, think that's what, give yeah. me Hollywood, I guess. But oh, I mean, went Hardman. Okay. Of course, you know, you and I can never agree on anything these days. Well, we're not that off, are we? I mean, I mean, we're forcing ourselves, we're giving ourselves segments that require us to disagree. That's true. Yeah, so, we're kind of okay. manufacturing not, some animosity amongst the podcast. We're not trying though. to just be a bunch of, oh, yeah, I really agree with that take, Kyle. Really, yeah, just to, you know, no, we're not going to be Pete and repeat on the Draft Dudes podcast. That's boring. Could we All do right? that for one show, though? We you could well, be, like, I, be like, I'm Pete, joined by repeat. <laughs> Welcome to the Draft Dudes podcast. I will go. literally just verbatim echo everything you said. 
Cal, I want to talk one more game. Here okay. From my end here. And I, I do want to men- I want to get into the Bills and Ravens. Not necessarily. Oh, no. I want to talk about the young players in this game I because I think there's some. Didn't. No, look. Let's, Josh <laughs> Allen got into this football game. Lamar Jackson got into this football game, right? Uh, Lamar is interesting. They, they legitimately have packages for him with Joe Flacco, and it's not disruptive to what they do. They put him in the slot. They use him as a decoy in terms of motioning. They allowed him to take a handoff and had some design runs. And then as it got to the point in the game where it's 40 to nothing in the second half, he got a chance to play some quarterback. Um, and look, he hit one pass over the middle. But uh, it does appear, you know, the big takeaway here that I want you guys to get is that Lamar Jackson legitimately does have packages in the base offense. Now, well, not the base offense, but within the offense with Joe Flacco playing quarterback. So we're going to see him sprinkled in, it seems like, on a week-to-week basis. Um, and I'm not sure if that's going to help his development or not, but he's going to see the field. Um, Josh Allen side of things, he came in the game after Nate Peterman, again, proved he's the worst player to ever step on the field and attempt to play the quarterback position. Uh, he came in and mop up duty. He, he's six of 15, 74 yards, uh, which is actually really good compared to what we saw from Nate Peterman. Tough order. Ravens defense is really good. They played their ones pretty much almost to the end of the game. Uh, and, and obviously the rain conditions didn't help and, and, Obviously, the Bills receivers suck, but uh, Allen had some good moments where he was decisive and he, you know, he was willing to to sling it and he didn't make any bad decisions. And I uh, was very comfortable with how he saw the field and the decisions that he made. Obviously, the completion percentage isn't good, but I didn't necessarily have a problem with his accuracy or the decisions that he made. I just felt like his receivers weren't really fighting for him. And that's kind of disappointing. But uh, I think we're going to see him get this starting job. I, I don't know how you go back to Peter McKyle. The guy started three games in the NFL so far. He hasn't finished any of them, and he's just he's just egregious when it comes to the output. I don't know how you, you look at this locker room in the eye week two and say, yeah, we're going to go back to that. I don't, I don't think you can do it. So, look, Allen probably going to be starting very soon here. It looks like probably Josh Rosen should be starting very soon here. Tyrod Taylor was garbage against Steelers. Looked Weird. like Baker could be – could be starting pretty soon here. And so we go into this week with just Darnold as the starter, but I think we could come out of it very soon here with three or four of these guys being starting uh, quarterbacks in the NFL. One last thought here on Tremaine Edmonds, 20 years old, got his first NFL start today, the youngest player ever to start a game as an NFL linebacker. He had his moments where, you know, where you want to see him be a little bit more aware and process things quicker, but the splash plays were there. He actually came away with seven tackles, uh, two for loss. He had a sack. He had a pass breakup, forced a fumble, and you saw the mobility and in, in his range and, and a lot of really positive things from the first start from Jermaine Edmonds. So very excited to see him. If there's one positive from this Bills disaster in Baltimore is that it looks like Jermaine Edmonds' career is off to a good start. You know what? I do have one parting thought as well, and it's on a Watt. T.J. Watt. <laughs> yeah. Yes. T.J. Watt. Uh, I don't necessarily want to talk – directly about the game against the Browns where TJ had four sacks and a blocked field goal in overtime to preserve a tie uh, because that's great. But Cleveland tried to block him with like Darren Fells and then they tried to chip him with Duke Johnson and he defeated the chip and then ran around in space and beat the right tackle. Uh, my takeaway with TJ Watt is those plays against skill players in pass rush situations. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. He won those reps and he won them easily. But I want to take just a moment and recognize 
the productivity that TJ Watt has brought to the table. He's played in 16 NFL games. He started 16 NFL games. And TJ Watt has 11 sacks, 15 plus tackles for loss, an interception, and two blocked field goals. Joe, if I told you right now, that's your first 16 games from your 2017 first round pick. You're signing on the dotted line, right? Immediately. Immediately. With a sharpie. I think he he kind of has slipped through the cracks because there were some great defensive rookie performances last season, and Watt kind of had this waxing and waning of his season. Uh, he had a groin injury that that kind of sapped some of his explosiveness midway through the year, but very quietly. He's a guy that kind of came in, and, and some folks thought, you know, this is was more of a flash-in-the-pan guy, one-year starter at Wisconsin, uh, was light in the trunk, not sure how he's going to hold up at the line of scrimmage. Uh, he's been the real deal. And for Pittsburgh, a team that has desperately looking for a featured pass rusher, you know, going back to when James Harrison was here and just not 40 years old, they were looking for somebody to rush across from him. They might finally have it in TJ Watt. So I think Pittsburgh, the tie is super disheartening. Ben Roethlisberger's play is super disheartening, but defensively, you have to be thrilled with what you've gotten from TJ Watt through 16 games. Good player. And uh, hat tip to you. You were uh, the first one to kind of beat that drum, and uh, he's made you look good, sir, so well, far. you said it and not me. Well, I, the, but the, the follow-up there is always that I had him higher on my board. Of course. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's, it's who you attach the brand to because – realistically like you get them in the certain range in the board and like there's going to be all those little yeah. things that are your dividing factors so you right. can go ahead and hold that over my head if you'd like congratulations joe marino at the joe marino on twitter make sure you give him a follow uh you did have tj watt higher on your board than i did um yeah. hope you guys enjoyed the show we really enjoy having nfl football and college football back in the fray so we can just talk ball with you guys on Mondays. This, I mean, this 25 minutes just absolutely flew by Joe kind of looked up and here we are 25 minutes in. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. We're going to close today's show. Uh, Thanks. We hope you guys have a great Monday. Thanks for making some time to listen to the draft dudes podcast. We're here five days a week. So hit that subscribe button, follow along with us. we got a lot of great content coming this week. Some of our weekly recurring segments will be back. Uh, Takes on takes. Uh, scout versus scout baby big boards all these things are coming back this week so you guys can get excited about those start hitting us up on twitter joe is at the joe marino i am at grinding the tape kyle Krabs with joe marino thanks for listening to the draft dudes podcast thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.